Hey, Eric, I'm excited about this one. I'm excited you made it back from abroad, yeah. alive and well. Yes, I was abroad. And by that, I mean I was abroad. <laughs> um, I had That's a, a future episode. <laughs> that, is a, that is a very future yes. episode. That's right. <laughs> so, um, listen, so today we're going to be uh, talking about... Uh, so, I used to teach Sunday school when I was, you know, however long ago. Younger than you are now. Younger than I am now. Um, and I used to specifically teach the gospel principles class. Oh, right? okay, sure. Yeah. And one of my favorite lessons that we used to talk was about agency, which is kind of our topic today, mm-hmm. but we're talking generally about determinism and how it relates to the church. In other words, yeah. In other words, instead of using the word that the church likes to use, you're yeah. using the word that means the exact opposite. <laughs> agency versus so, determinism. So you're the controversial one this episode. <laughs> Got it. Got it. <laughs> Let's start with agency. Okay. okay. So um, go ahead and give me the um, Sunday school definition for agency. Agency means that I have the capacity to um, mold my own fate, to make decisions and um, accept the life that is the consequence of those decisions. That's right. That's exactly right. You can mold your decisions, right? So you can... Um, so the reason I, I bring up the Sunday school lesson was because it has my favorite quote about this, okay. to- this topic. And for me, it always explained the difference mm-hmm. between agency, right, which is the thing that people understand, right? But people always conflate the word agency with the word freedom, right? Which is, yes, which is not the same thing. Yes, I was just looking, before you arrived, I was in the library of uh-huh. our ward building, and I was looking through old quote books from the 60s and 70s, and I was looking under agency and nothing was there and eventually occurred to me to look at freedom. Yeah. And it was sometimes freedom and free agency, but often it was just freedom. Uh-huh. Agency didn't show up in those it books. It didn't show up in those books, in the old church books. Oh, that's interesting. Well, in the um, in the Sunday school lesson, right, the Gospel Principles Manual, it is the title is Freedom to Choose. So it uses the word freedom in the title. Okay. So here's the quote, right? When who, we fo- who, Is this from the, the Gospel Principles book? This is from the Gospel okay, Principles book. And do you know... Anything about the Gospel Principles book? Sure. As a whole? Like, who wrote it? Uh, a, a committee. A committee. Of correlators. <laughs> a committee of correlators. Yes. What does that, even, what does that mean? <laughs> that means, um, so the church takes seriously this little cliche we like to say about how the church is the same everywhere you go. Yeah. But the church takes that very seriously. And since the late 60s and really picking up steam in the late 70s, we've worked hard to make sure that no matter where you go, you hear the same thing and you're taught the same thing. The Gospel Principles book is sort of the core manual for getting the basics out there. When you become a member, um, until you feel comfortable moving up to uh, the other Sunday school, um, Gospel Principles was the class you went to and you went over the basics until you felt yeah. It was my favorite thing to teach. It was 22, ep- 22 episodes. It was a full season of content, <laughs> right? 22 chapters. Yes. And it was super fun to teach because it was all the basics, right? I really got into it. When we follow the temptations of Satan, goes the quote, Okay. we limit our choices. The following example suggests how this works. Imagine seeing a sign on the seashore that reads danger M- Danger M dash. Well, I'm just trying to read the dash. Like, oh, got you're, it. You're all, you're all fancy Sorry. with your English. I'm stuff. not. I'm not every, looking at it. I'm just listening. Every now and then, I okay. okay. Danger whirlpool. No swimming allowed here. Oh, M dash. Like in the longer dash. The longer dash. I thought it was danger M 
and then a dash. No, no, and no. I thought they were like censoring the word M, and nope. I was really confused. I was trying to be Englishy. Right. Sorry, you succeceded. You I just did. you just uh, outwarned me. <laughs> no swimming allowed here. So here's the Got sign: it. you can't it's go swimming. It's dangerous. Right. Got it. I have a feeling where this is going. We might think that it is a restriction, but is it? We still have many choices. We are free to swim somewhere else. You bet. We are free to walk along the beach and pick up yes. seashells. We are free to watch the sunset. Right? We are free to record our podcast, even though above us the buffalo of children yes, are stomping the buffalo, around. The buffalo have just shown up. Right? We are free to go home. We are also free to ignore the sign and swim in the dangerous place. But once the whirlpool has us in its grasp and we are pulled under, we have very few choices. We can try to escape, we can call for help, or we may drown. And to add to that, if you have not studied how to swim in a whirlpool, Yes. You probably have even fewer options. That's right. Um, I've always loved this idea, right? Because it so incredibly well describes the difference between freedom and agency, right? And captivity. Okay. Right? Because your agency is the ability to choose. Freedom and captivity are the results of those okay. choices. I see what you're saying. Yes. yes. So freedom and captivity are two possible consequences of choices made. That's right. Check. So anyway, I always like that particular analogy so um so i thought we'd start here this is the sunday school definition of the word agency the ability to choose what gives us the ability to choose um i think i would like you to clarify that question because i feel like no matter what i say you're gonna say gotcha afterwards <laughs> i didn't I actually didn't didn't have a gotcha prepared oh, okay i'm just curious <laughs> where do you think there's well there's two different we could talk about the religious um, okay, yeah. Derivation first. Sure. So there's the religious idea. It comes from our spirit, our, um, you know, the fact that we are um, children of the divine, right? So that's a source of agency. Um, it's a little more complicated on the science end, mm -hmm. which I think is your attraction to this topic. Yes. So I uh, have no doubt we will get to that. Uh -huh. um, but... I do think it's worth pointing out that as Latter-day Saints, our religion is really dedicated to this idea of agency. Mm -hmm. um, I remember learning about Calvinism in high school English in preparation to read Jonathan Edwards. Yes. And, uh, and then later, The Scarlet Letter. And my high school English understanding of Calvinism, um, which is, is accurate enough for the purposes of us right now, I think, is right. that God has already decided whether you're going to heaven or going to hell. Right. And the only reason to live a good life is to convince yourself that you're a good person, right? I mean, that that's a little unfair to Calvinism, but that's kind of it, right? Like, yeah. why do you, why, if we've already decided whether we're going to heaven or hell, what's the point of trying to be good? Well, it's, we're not really trying, we're just proving that we are what um, God already knows, or you know, something. It's, it's this complicated idea where, do we have choice or not? Like, if God has already made the decisions, and the world is already set out the way it's going to be, then you know, do our actions have meaning? We believe specifically that the atonement bought our agency. Okay? I think that's a fair statement. Right? We believe that um, through Christ, that is why we can choose, right? Is because we have the ability to now choose good or choose evil and live with the consequences throughout our life. Yes. Right? And as you said, this is a huge deal for us in our church, right? To the point where it is, it, it goes deep on how we administer welfare, right? Because we believe that you need to get off welfare, 
right? Right. So we want to work with you and help you use your agency to better your life, right? But if you work hard and you make good choices, you should be able to accomplish your goals, right? There's this fundamental belief. Um, you just made me really uncomfortable. Uh-huh. Because you might work really hard, but the fact is, the reason you got on welfare in the first place is because um, you broke your back running in front of a bus oh, no, chasing no, a small I'm not, child. I'm right? not and, saying this is guaranteed. Right. I mean, this is yeah, we got to be careful not to fall into yeah. the prosperity gospel. And, yeah. And, like, I specifically tell... Teach, you have money because you're good. Teach my children that in order to succeed in life, you need three things, right? You need hard work, you need connections, and you need luck. <laughs> yeah. Speaking and, as someone who writes, and all you can't overstate <laughs> the importance of luck. And all three of those things are incredibly important. We mitigate the mitigate we mitigate the effect of luck by you know through you know trying the other to, two. through the other two and through hopefully you know our other things and you know our yeah. studies and whatever. But, but it's certainly possible to be successful by a certain standard. Entirely through connections, yeah. Just because of the who you were born to. That's right. Like one of the the Coke kids makes really grotesquely ugly Hawaiian shirts. Yeah. And he's very rich, but it's not because he's good at what he does. Yeah. He's terrible. I mean, one of the does. makers of Coca Cola. No, no, Coke, like the 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 big donors to the Republican Party. Oh, okay, I got gotcha. those, those Cokes. Mm-hmm. C or K O C H, not. Mm-hmm. I don't think there are any Cocas. Like, I don't think the Coca-Cola was named after anybody. It was That's named right. after a plant. After cocaine. But I really like <laughs> the idea that there's like some Coke brothers who, <laughs> who own the Coca-Cola mafia. <laughs> um, I guess I always thought they were the Koch brothers. Oh, is it Koch? Okay. I always thought it was Coke. Or Koch. Koch is very funny. Mm-hmm. I think if it was Koch, I would have heard that many That's times how I, by now. I always read it in my head. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> okay, so it's interesting that 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 analysis of life, right? You yes. need those three things. Actually, diminishes a bit the value of agency, right? And it's a bit more of a realistic, or maybe yeah. you could even say pessimistic well, view of life. I I don't know. I mean, if if everything had to be equal for the plan of salvation to work properly, then we would all be born in identical circumstances. Mm-hmm. And given the state the world is in, it seems clear to me that that must not be true. Yeah. So the In fact, that was one of the parables. We've mentioned that parable before. You get ten talents, you get five, yeah. you get two. What can you do with what you have is the right. question. Not, not um, let's try to make everything equal, right? Right. Okay, so agency, uh, uh, from a religious perspective, I think that's fine, all right? But what's interesting to me is the neurobiological perspective. So before we go there, where do you have any other topics you want to topic? You like religious-wise? Yeah, to jump in on. I mean, uh, we're going to yeah, come back to philosophy. Do you want to hear my pitch that the Joseph Smith translation of the Bible is an anti-determinist text? Okay, sure. Yeah, that yeah. sounds interesting. All right. First, first to tell us about determinism, maybe. Okay, so determinism is the idea that um, basically all of everything, including what you and I put on this morning, is entirely determined by Newtonian physics, yeah. essentially. And, I mean, that's not exactly true, but for purposes of, like, think about Newton. If uh, everything that, you know, there's an equal and opposite reaction and so forth, everything is very predictable. If you know all the elements, you can do the math, you know exactly what's going to happen. Right. So the idea is that if you had a sufficiently complex algebra, and by the way, that phrasing is stolen from Arcadia by Tom Stoppard, which we talked about last month. Hmm. If, if you have su- sufficiently complex algebra, you could 
uh, figure out everything. You could you could start at the Big Bane and work your all the way to the Kardashians, mm-hmm. and it would be inevitable. It would right. be the only possible outcome. Right. So it completely ignores chaos theory. Right. Yeah. Ian Malcolm is dead to these people, and okay. I'm not okay with that because mm-hmm. he's one of my favorite characters. But you know what? The Big Bane required me to feel that way, so I don't know why I should be bitter. Uh, that was a Jurassic Park reference, yeah. by the way. And if you don't get it. You need to go and watch yeah. it six times in the theater when you were a teenager. That's right. <laughs> oh my gosh, have you been spying on me that long? Yeah. <laughs> yes. That is, that, I think it was five, but yeah. your point is accurate. Yeah. All right, hit All it. All right. Okay, so um, I'm going to... to so uh, Joseph's translation, Joseph Smith took the King James Bible, made sm- slight alterations to bring it more in line with... Um, the word of God, in as he understood it. Yeah. Right? I mean, how the translation worked is probably a completely another episode, and there, I'm sure the Maxwell Institute has covered it. You can go look them up. Um, but so this is one change that he makes many times in the Old Testament. Um, I'm going to read the example from Exodus 10, verse one. Um, but this 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 kind of change Joseph Smith made a lot of times in the Bible. So here's the King James version. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go in unto Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the heart of his servants, that I might shew these my signs before him. That's the original. Joseph Smith translation. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go in unto Pharaoh, for he hath hardened his heart and the hearts of his servants. Therefore I will shew, I will show these my signs before him. Okay. Okay. I, so, sorry. Ahead. The buffalo. Uh-huh. So, in the original... God hardens Pharaoh's heart in order to make him reject the Israelites so he can destroy them in the Red Sea. And, and basically, God is is, is uh, micromanaging the entire Exodus, yeah. making sure that the Pharaoh does exactly what he wants. Mm-hmm. Um, in the Joseph Smith translation, Pharaoh is making these decisions. Got it. So what you're saying, the original, God hardened Pharaoh's heart. That's right. And in the translation, Pharaoh hardened his own heart. That's correct. Ah. So... That's now, awesome. I've just made the argument that's anti-determinism, but maybe it's just that God has the perfect sense of probability we were talking about earlier, and he doesn't have to harden Pharaoh's heart because he knows Pharaoh's going to do it. Mm-hmm. This was, this idea of the perfect sense of probability is something that came up as a teenager to explain how God could know everything and know the future and so forth, but also I could have freedom. And that I didn't realize that was deterministic at the time. Mm-hmm. I thought it was solving the problem. Wait, wait, so go deeper. So you're saying that... Um, if God allows freedom, but he also can see the future because we have prophecies and stuff, right? Your right. argument is that there's a probabilistic explanation for that. Right. God God has a perfect sense of probability, so he knows what I'm going to do. Mm-hmm. And, I, and on one level, that gives me my freedom back. On another level, we're still without freedom yeah. because everything is already predetermined. Right. And also doesn't square with my sense of God and his relationship to time. No, I don't buy that anymore. Yeah, good. I don't like it anymore. I, I didn't, I didn't, that didn't quite hold up with me. Mm-hmm. The, and, um, okay, so, that's very good. So, the, you're saying that the translation ratifies this idea that we have free will. Okay. Right. Yes. Okay. Or at least that's certainly a way to read it. Alright. The problem is that if you look at the biology it becomes very hard to start to really understand what free will is, right? Yeah, and the more we learn about biology, the harder it gets. That's right. So here, I want to kind of diverge a bit. Okay. We're going to try and connect these topics near the end, okay? Unless you had other places you want to go first. Uh, No, if they fit in, they fit in. If they don't, they don't. Okay, so 
about six months ago, about a year ago. <laughs> Right, sometime. You're ago. good at time, I can yeah. tell. <laughs> okay. Recently, the uh, <laughs> rec- go on. recently, uh, my wife and I went to uh, go see a movie called not a movie, a play called The Hard Problem. Have you heard of this also by before? Tom Stoppard. Also by Tom Stoppard. I okay. am only familiar with it by clicking on your link and, and skimming the Wikipedia page. I, I... So it didn't get great reviews, as it turns out. Mm-hmm. But um, based on the Wikipedia article. But when we saw it, I really liked it. So the hard problem um, is here is referring to the problem of consciousness, mm-hmm. all right? It's the problem of um, qualia, to use a philosophical term, right? Okay. Which refers to the ability for us to feel and experience things, right? Mm-hmm. So the problem is, why do humans have a real sense of self, right? Why do humans have this idea of experience, of, of, of having things that's, that are happening to me right now? Right, mm-hmm. so that is the problem of consciousness, and where does that derive? What organ expresses that? What yeah. part of the brain gives us consciousness? And in the play, um, there's a researcher who is trying to, act, who is investigating this, and modifies some data, and it's interesting. It's, it doesn't go where you expect it would be, and it doesn't really also answer the question which is good because nobody really knows (laughs) what the answer is yet that is true it is an open question it is very much an open open question so there's lots of theories there's lots of philosophy about it the wikipedia article called hard problem of consciousness is absolutely fascinating Mm -hmm. about this subject yeah if you go and you read it you'll read about things like philosophical zombies all right okay so the idea is that a, philosoph- a philosophical zombie is someone who looks, acts, and responds exactly like so, a human would. Yeah. But they internally have no sense of self. Blade Runner. Right? A Blade Runner. Mm-hmm. Right? And there's no way for you to know when you talk to them that they have no sense of self. Because they react as if they did. But inside they, they just don't. This is high school philosophy though. Like, man, I don't know when I see red, you're seeing the same red. <laughs> it's true. There's no way to know anybody else is real. That's right. <laughs> so, um, and I'm not saying it isn't a useful scientific or philosophical question, but it is um, a tired question. I think you are saying that. I am saying that, but I, I do. I think it's. I can give you. I think it can be both those things at the same time. Okay. Okay. The, okay. That's fine. Good. Um, the, but the problem of consciousness directly relates to the problem of agency and of free will, right? Sure. Yeah. You bet it does. So. <clears throat> Is this sense of agency really derived from the biology of the brain? Or is this something that comes from spirit? Well, since you brought in philosophers and already pushed us away from mm-hmm. biology, I'm going to bring in another philosopher, Joseph Campbell, uh-huh. the 20th century scholar on mythology. And he says that um, he talks about a plant that. Uh, grew around a coconut tree at his house in Hawaii. And the plant reaches out its tendrils and grabs onto the coconut tree. It puts out really large leaves and points them towards the sun. And he says, all those things are consciousness. Like, the plant is making the decision to face the sun. Like, it, it has a certain amount of will in order to do that. And he says the same thing's true in our body, right? When you eat, the example he gives is when you eat something, the body knows to produce bile and, and how much in order to deal with it. Um, 
are unless you've had your gall bladder removed. That's right. Then then <laughs> then avoid fatty foods. <clears throat> uh, uh, to get gross for a minute, your your rectum, your anus, that part is very smart. How does it know? How does this thing, which we would generally say doesn't have consciousness because it's not our brain doing this, that's right. How does it? How can it tell the difference between a gas and a liquid and a solid? Which it has to deal with all three of those things, and it has to let you know which is which. Mm -hmm. This or is a great analogy. You could have real. It's not an analogy, man. This is this is life. <laughs> um, and so and so yeah, there is the consciousness in our brain is of a of, seems to be of a higher order certainly, than what our behind or a plant is doing. Right. But he would argue it's just a matter of degrees. All that is consciousness. So, it's interesting you, interesting you say that. The matter of degrees is, you could, based on my remembering of these articles, is a reductionist approach, right? So the idea is that if you build up enough neurological circuits, you will yeah. eventually arrive That is a at popular consciousness which is an argument in AI right now right yeah. if you if you build enough faux neurotransmitters do you eventually get an intelligence right um, it's a, such an interesting question um, have you heard of the um, are we living in a simulation argument sure okay so um, here's just briefly here's how the argument goes okay let's have it okay because the conclusion of the article of the argument is striking the conclusion is yes we're living in a simulation <laughs> And it's, yes, we're living in a simulation okay. with 99.9 .9 bar odds. Just likely. because, <laughs> well, I, I, I think I know this argument, but go ahead. Okay, so here are the steps to the article, to okay. the argument. First step, it is possible to simulate consciousness. Okay, well, that is, I would, I don't know that that's an argument, but I have to accept that or nothing else works. Right, so. more like premises. Right, premises. yes, a premise, yeah. Problems. You have to have the following three things. Okay, okay. If, so given, given that it is possible to make, to, to um, how did you phrase it? Simulate consciousness. consciousness. So what does that require? It means that, um, and I'm quoting from, from a, um, a, a podcast here called Infinite Monkey Cage. And this is the episode. That's a great title. Yes, are we living in a simulation? We're going to have links to that. Um, also, they have another great episode: the mind versus the, the brain. So those these two podcast episodes are really worth listening to, as they talk about this. Right. So is the mind substrate independent? All right. I think I want you to define that for okay. me. Okay. In other words, is it possible to replicate it on a computer chip? Okay. Right now we replicate. We have these neurons. Right. right? And they build up into something of, of complexity high enough that it forms consciousness, right? A religious argument would say, but there's also a spirit, and that gets you the rest of the way there. Sure. Okay? Although that's also lazy. Well, it's also lazy, right? Go ahead. And, yeah. also, um, and also may not even be true with religion. <laughs> right. I'm really leery of any religious argument that says, and this bit of science we don't understand is explained by God. Yeah, exactly. I don't think that's a way to build faith. So let's set that aside for a yeah. second. I so, think we've talked about that in the past anyway. Exactly. So build it up, build it up. Okay, great. So the substrate independent means it's possible to replicate it on a different one. Right. And let, and, it does, and it doesn't matter how many resources you need to do it, right? You, if it would require an entire planet's worth of computers to do it, that's mm -hmm. fine. There's lots of planets. The civilization <laughs> would have to day. get big enough to do it, mm -hmm. be able to, to actually um, to do all this work. But let's assume that it could be done. Okay. That's step one. Step two, somebody has to want to. All right? Okay. Which is more complicated than you might think it is. 
right? It is a lot of resources to build that re that simulation, right? Yes. And um, maybe with the time you get to be uh, technologically advanced, nobody really cares anymore, and they have other stuff to work on, right? Maybe. So yeah. if you have those two things, we go to the moon, right? And exactly. These other things. It is a very human easy, thing to do, but because it is hard. Yeah. Right. Exactly. So. The third, it's not really a requirement, but it's a statement. Once you have these two things, it's possible to simulate, and somebody wants to, mm -hmm. then you can now run that simulation as many times as you want. Right. And if you've done that, you could the number of times you can run that simulation versus how many lifetime experiences I've had, Yes. that ratio is incredibly large. Right. Assuming, assuming it's possible, uh -huh. and somebody wants to do it, then the amount of times it could be run is... Is so far... Is, beyond much closer to infinity than one lifetime exactly and so therefore um if you if those two assumptions are true i'm living in a situation simulation you're living in a simulation yeah. and what's interesting about living in a simulation there's two there's two arguments yeah really interesting the first is um it means that there is a possibility of an afterlife right why because that you could just turn it off and turn it back on again reboot that character oh okay right gotcha. <laughs> or move them into some of this you could simulate gotcha. whatever you want if you, yeah if you want to call that afterlife <laughs> my first published short story actually was about that sort of afterlife oh we should upload it we should put a link to it yeah, in the, in the quotes I'll send you a link it's my first published short story so I'm not like asking for a Pulitzer or anything else, but it's related so um, so that's the first one the second thing that's interesting about that is if it's true then 100% of the resources of our civilization should be to make contact with the simulators and ask them not to turn it off. <laughs> okay. This is, this is the war games theory of reality. Right. So, it's interesting. Um, the thing about if it's possible to simulation, that would mean that it's to simulate, it means it would, all the feelings and experiences we have, including the spiritual ones, would therefore be simulated. Right? Yeah. The problem with this argument is that I can't see any way out of it. Right? To me, it's rock solid. Yeah, it's rock solid if you accept a bunch of unprovable premises. Sure. Exactly. Yeah. It is that. It's I mean, this is really just the techno erotic version of that high school theory that we were talking about before. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's just made fancy with big words and science. That's right. But it's, it the, same, it's the same thing. Uh -huh. Yeah. So it's just MIT worthy. The only thing that I can think of is just hope that it's not true. Because <laughs> I prefer, mm -hmm. I prefer the reality to be real. That, that, that I have. I prefer to be real. Right? Can I tell you a story? Go ahead. So um, this story comes from a comic book collection I recently purchased on Kickstarter called All We Ever Wanted. Um... The book as a whole is not that great, but it has a few really good stories. And I want to tell you about one called Good Time, written by Vasilis Posios, perhaps, and pictures by Zach Somm, perhaps. Read by Eric Jepsen. Yes. And um, so here's the idea of... I'm going to ruin the whole thing. So, spoiler alert. Spoilers. It affects very few people because nobody buys comics anthologies on my recommendation. Or the world would be a different place. <laughs> I have a lot of evidence that nobody buys comics <laughs> anthologies on my recommendation. Uh, but the story is about a guy who um, committed a murder and goes to jail for the rest of his life. Like, his, uh, his daughter grows up and he doesn't get to see her. His wife grows away from him. Um, he gets in fights, you know, he gets like, you know, um, yard tattoos and uh, he gets beat up. He gets, one time, the picture of his daughter that he's held on for two for 30 years gets destroyed and so on. Um, 
and sad, Grim. right? It's 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 awful. Like, and um, by the end, he's really come around. Like, he's really repentant of all the of his crime, and he's really feeling the weight of his punishment. And then he's uh, it's been a simulation. They just ran him through a half hour simulation that felt like the rest of his life. And so his punishment was, according to the courts, was to live his punishment. He did, literally, he has the memories of, of all those decades in prison, but he leaves the simulation and his wife still loves him and his daughter is still a toddler and he gets to have the benefit of the simulation, mm -hmm. but apply it to his real life. There's a real reincarnation vibe about this. Sure, yeah, there is. And, and the, it's a fair point, you know, on the one hand, yeah, please don't turn the simulation off and, I, and I'd rather be living my own life. On the other hand, hey, it's a lot of stress to have one life. Mm -hmm. It is. And you just screw it up. It is really easy to screw Why not embrace up. this? Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's very interesting. You know, one of the things we talk about in our church is eternal progression, right? We do talk about that. What we don't talk about is how you get from here to there. Right? We really focus on these, these um, 0 to 99 years mm -hmm. of life, because right? that's what we can see right now. We don't talk about how long it takes to actually finish the job. And it's controversial, even among apostles. Right? Is, does, is God still progressing, or is that heresy? You can mm -hmm. find apostles on both sides of that question. And it's an interesting and, and I would argue important, maybe impossible to know, but important, worth, worth thinking about. Is eternal progression, does it mean actually improving, like learning bowling and all that kind of thing? Um, or does it mean um, a family that grows forever? That depends on who you ask and how they define it. So I, I don't have an answer for that, uh, but I think it's a good question. So I believe that we're not living in a simulation because if we are in a simulation, then I feel like I don't have agency, and yeah. what's the point, right? The nihilist in me strikes out and says, what's the point? Yeah, it's kind of like Pascal's wager, where he doesn't know if there's a god, but it... Walk if us you through act like... pa Pascal's wager so, for people um, who don't know about it. <clears throat> okay, I'm not looking at Wikipedia, so if I remember this wrong, please tell Aaron he should have made this me fact-check myself. This is a very classic problem. But the basic idea is, uh, Pascal, is there a god, Pascal? Pascal says, I, you know, I don't know. I'm really not sure. I can't tell one way or another. But the benefits to believing in God are much greater than um, whatever benefits I get by not believing in God. And the risk of not believing in God is much worse than any risks associated with, you know. And so it just makes sense. It's the wise decision to act as if God exists. And the same thing is true of agency. It's, it is much better and the world is a better place if everyone acts as if there's agency. But whether it's a simulation or not, whether we're real or not, it behooves us to ask, act as if we are. So let, let me just, I'm just going to, we're going to turn this into a Q&A. I'm going to ask you some questions about what I've written down. Okay. Um, if, actually you already kind of covered this. I was going to say, does this mean the, if, if there's determinism, let's, let's leave the simulations out of here for a second. Okay. But if there is determinism, does that mean multiple universes therefore are thrown out of science. Can you have both determinism and multiple universes if everything is always exactly the same and there's never forks in the road? The problem with, I've always considered the multiple universe hypothesis, unless there's some way to cross between the universes. Yes. Very, a very useless construct. So uh, similar to the simulation, there's no point in believing in it. Yeah, because it, yes, it may, it's interesting to think of the physics, right? Yeah. And it's interesting to try to prove it mathematically. Right, and to consider what effect it has on our universe, 
but a consequence of the multiple universe theory, right, is mm -hmm. that right now I'm choosing not to kill everyone in the room. <laughs> right? Yes. So there would be a universe where suddenly I snap and just, just destroy the world, mm -hmm. right? I've never Well, that's never more like it. infinite universes rather than simply multiple but but it's a hard line to draw like yeah if this is this is this is the kind of thinking that Douglas Adams makes fun of in the Attacker's Guide to the Galaxy uh -huh. where um, if the universe is truly infinite then everything is happening at all times somewhere mm -hmm. and so Rick and Morty solves this problem oh how do they how, well let's they don't know. really solve it but what they talk <laughs> about instead of infinite universes is like they talk about local manifolds Right, mm -hmm. local curves in space where they're kind of interacting. Okay. In space time, they only cover it very briefly. They just mention that phrase, and, and thinking about it, that's kind of what I thought that they were referring to. Is that <laughs> they there may be infinite universes, but they only have access to. Rick and Morty is great. I cannot recommend it, right? Because it is. My wife won't a, watch it to me entirely because. Because it's. Is it Rick or Morty who's the older fellow? Um, uh, Rick. Rick. Rick yeah. makes a lot of terrible, awful, disgusting noises with his mouth. Yes, he does. So she won't watch it with me. I it's own the also, first season. I've only seen like it's also very violent episodes. and rude, and you know, it's yeah. a very M.A. kind of show. But it is the best science fiction that okay. is being made right now. The idea of reincarnation is an interesting one from a Mormon perspective. The idea of and how it connects to eternal progression. My brother, I don't know if he still does, but there was a time when my brother believed in reincarnation. And I have met other Mormons who believe in reincarnation. Um, I don't. I don't. Um, I mean, the scriptures seem, our scriptures seem pretty yeah, clear about, about but this. But reincarnation does solve some problems. It creates new problems also. Mm -hmm. But it does solve some problems. I mean, this comes back to our red ball conversation. If God is infinitely good, then why is there this system where you only get one chance? You know, and that's where like, can you repent in the afterlife? Well, not if you had a reasonable chance. Well, what constitutes a reasonable chance? This this is a, a nighttime argument that can go on forever mm -hmm. with Latter Day Saints. Is what does it mean to have enough of a chance? Well, to make? I mean, we have these scriptures that say things like it is too late for this one group of people. Right? They do, but don't forget that those same scriptures have Jesus saying like, oh yeah, eternal fire. That doesn't mean you're there forever. It just mean like my name's eternal and it's my fire, so it's eternal fire, yeah. and it freaks people out, so we call it eternal fire. Yeah, that's, that's also my, Mormon scripture. Yeah, it's one of my favorite scriptures. Too. I love it too, but it does throw a lot of other things under the question when you realize, like, oh wait, is he messing with us right now to make a point? And once we're a little bit wiser, we'll realize that he's. It. I mean, it's it's an interesting theological problem, but I like my God that way. Mm -hmm. um, I want to pitch one more science fiction story. Okay, good. This is by uh, Ted Chiang. It's very short. It's called What's Expected of Us. Um, it was published in, I forget which one, but one of the, it was, oh, you know, let me just, it was published in Nature. I knew it was one of the big ones. Wow. Science fiction published in Nature, which happens every once in a while, right? That's awesome. So it's a science fiction story, very short, published in Nature. You may know him. Nature, one of the big three scientific yeah. publications. Science, Cell, Nature. Yeah, and I, I, I think Cell's number three. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Definitely. <laughs> Sorry, Cell. <laughs> so it's one of the big two. But, um, <laughs> but um, well, oh, so anyway, so it's published in Nature. That's a fun fact. It's not important. But you probably know Ted Chiang. Uh, he is the one whose story is the basis of the movie Arrival. Oh, what a great movie a that is. a fabulous movie. Yeah. And his stories are so good. Like, I can't recommend him enough. He's fantastic. Buy a short story collection. This story is not in the collection. It's very short. Um, in the version I made for 
when I copied it off the web and made it for my students, it's two pages, and as you can see, this is pretty big text. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm going to read the first three paragraphs, which might be too long, so I'll pause after the second one, and you can edit it if you feel like that's the right thing to do. <laughs> this is a warning. Please read carefully. By now, you've probably seen a predictor. Millions of them have been sold by the time you're reading this. For those who haven't seen one, it's a small device, like a remote for opening your car door. Its only features are a button and a big green LED. The light fat flashes if you press the button. Specifically, the light flashes one second before you press the button. I'm going to stop there, actually. That's the end of the second paragraph. And it, you can't fool it. Mm -hmm. You can't fool it. You can say, I'm not going to push the button, and it won't go off. And, but, and, and once you, you say, I'm going to wait for the light, and then not push the button, you can't. Like It always is right. Always one second before you push the button, the light goes off. And, um, well, let me ask you, Aaron, I'll let you, um, this is, literature is the laboratory for humanity. Yeah. Um, all of a sudden, the predictor, predictor is everywhere. Both of your kids have one. You have one sitting on your desk at work. It goes off one second every time before you push the button. Uh -huh. How does that change your life? Wow. Um, wow, what a great short story. I'm going to have to read it now to figure out the answer. Doesn't it completely take away the concept of free will? It certainly seems to. Yeah. Yeah, There. it's pretty good evidence there's no such thing as free will right oh what a great idea so how do you react um well first of all it's science fiction so i right. reject the premise <laughs> <laughs> right but if i lived in that universe uh -huh. i would be terrifying right because now all of a sudden um i don't have free will any longer right right because i think that's what that would mean um and, and it's interesting that I say that. I hadn't actually zeroed in on that feeling before. The idea of not having free will. Free will. The I'm idea, truly believing that. Yeah. The idea of captivity. The neurobiologist's perspective of mm -hmm. we are just a pile of synapses and what will be, will be determining, determined by the gradients between synapses in our brains. Yes. Right? And we don't really have control. That thought is terrifying, right? It is, it, it's, I can't even wrap my head around that it. it's such a scary thought. Yeah. Because it completely goes against, because it puts me in captivity, is what it does. It puts me in a box that I can't get out of, right? And it have, I have these visions of being bricked up of, in an Ed, yeah. Edgar Allan Poe right. story by my own brain that I can't make choices. Um, and so maybe it is a defense mechanism that I just reject that reality completely. Yeah. Right? Or what I would prefer to believe and what I hope I believe is that because we're having this conversation at all, it means that uh, it's not true. Yeah. I listened to a, um, a journalist on This American Life interview some scientists on this question who've all arrived at the conclusion that there's really no way around mm -hmm. a lack of free will. Yeah. Um, because... <laughs> Yeah, because it's really easy to arrive at that collusion. Right. It's, uh, it is easy. And, um, and it's very simple and logical, and it's clean. And science loves clean answers. Yeah. But ultimately, no matter how much you know it to be true, I think, like you were saying, I don't think our minds truly accept it. And even if they did... We would just uh, like what does that what does it mean? Because because to suggest that knowing you don't have free will would cripple you suggests there's free will. Mm -hmm. And I know that this is like a roundabout argument that proves both sides of the argument, and that's fine. Um, 
But again, it, like, what's the point of believing you don't have free will? I mean, I what's have... What's the value? I have faith that I don't mm-hmm. have free will. And I mean, meaning <laughs> that I have free will, right? It is a thing unseen mm-hmm. that I believe, right? That's what faith is that supposed is to mean. That is what faith is. As long as it's true. Yeah, <laughs> that is true. It is a thing unseen that is true. Um, and so I... And so that's my faith. Yeah. I hope it's real. Uh, an acquaintance of mine... Uh, D. Michael Martinsdale. Double checking his name. Yeah. An acquaintance of mine, D. Michael Martinsdale, uh, who's, a, who's an LDS writer, he um, had this great expression, uh, this great definition of art, which I really love. Uh, and it's a, very, it's a very Latter-day Saint definition of art, but art is something about which perfect beings can disagree. Which is great because Ooh, that's a great definition. If we become gods, <laughs> then we all know physics equally well, right? Yeah. And we all um, have that perfect sense of probability we were talking about before. But art is something that ex- exists outside that. It's not right or wrong. It's something perfect people could disagree about. And I think that uh, the, one of the reasons I love that formulation is because it implies no matter how far eternal progression takes us, we still have agency. We still have free will. It can be an eternal principle as long as there's art in the world. 